Good morning again. As I was praying about this particular capital sin, uh, the sin of pride, um, I would say we all didn't pick the sins we commit. <laughs> I'm good at pride and uh, greed, all right? Um, but, but, you know, I was, as I was praying this song, I don't know if you've all heard the, the song, uh, I think it's Frank Sinatra, he says, I did it my way. You know that song? That's kind of the hymn that Lucifer has in his hymnal. It's the only hymn. I did it my way. I did it my way. And so pride, it's the first um, and greatest of the sins that's, that's committed. Um, it was and is, it was and is uh, the obstinate uh, sinful choice of Lucifer. And the word Lucifer, it means, it means light bringer. Uh, bringer of the dawn, the morning star. And so you might ask, well, that sounds kind of positive. Well, the, the point is, is it's, it's like me saying, hey, I have a better idea. I have a light. I have an idea I want to introduce you to. And in his light and his way isn't God's way. It's I did it my way. That's the, the whole kind of uh, surrounding sense and flavor of thought uh, of life that uh, Satan Lucifer chose. So let's talk a minute about what pride is not, because I think it's important to just give a little reflection. What what is not pride? So I think sometimes pride is um, it should not be confused with self-respect. Um, unlike pride, self-respect doesn't um, imply feelings of superiority. You know, we all have to have self-respect, right? And, and self-respect, it's an indispensable um, uh, virtue in life. You, you have to learn to respect yourself. And a person, um, they may have too much self-esteem, but no one can have too much self-respect. And I think that's important. So there's a proper self-esteem that's that results from evaluating oneself soberly. And, and I'd like you to... Maybe pray through, and you have some time later, Romans 12, 3. It speaks about a sober, sober judgment that I have of myself, a sober estimation of myself, an understanding of myself. And pride shouldn't be confused with self-love. Christians commonly condemn self-love as like a narcissistic or narcissism way of living. But Jesus himself commands his followers, I'm in Matthew 22, uh, 39, Jesus commands his followers, love one another as you love yourself. So pride is not self-love, um, and pride is not, uh, it, 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 it can't be confused with self-respect or self-love. Those are important things, because I think sometimes we, again, get, get in this idea of if we beat ourselves down, then we are being humble. Um, so self-love doesn't mean that Every time you see yourself in a mirror, your pulse starts to beat, you know? Or every time you see someone else, you're like, your pulse starts to beat, you're quick and it's like, yes. No, it, it's a care for yourself, right? So healthy self-love is caring for yourself, it's caring for others. Um, you know, obsession with oneself is not authentic self-love, just as obsession with someone else isn't true romance or true love, right? So we can't be obsessed with ourselves, but we do have to have a sense of caring for ourselves Again, self-respect, self-love. And now one of the most challenging, I think, ways of that, that pride is not is one can feel proud 
and not necessarily be living in the capital sin of pride. And what I mean by that is like a, a healthy pride, a healthy sense of being happy. For example, someone, let's say, um, discovers a, 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 a new therapy that's helping tons of people with, say, cancer. Um, well, we should feel good about that achievement without, you know, you don't have to be puffed up, but you can feel good about an achievement. Um, or let's say a, a, a man, a father's son um, does something really well, and dad's excited and he's proud of his boys, he's proud of his kids. Um, that's a natural and proper expression of love, right? If, you, if you're not sense of esteem for your, your, your kids and, and, and excited that they did something well, well, then that's probably not healthy, right? So a father identifies with his son or daughter and thus shares in that elation. Um, God is proud of us. He's proud of creating us. He's proud of making us. That's why he sent his son to fight for us, to combat for us, to defend us, to love us, to heal us, to forgive us, to deliver us. So God the Father is proud of us in a good sense. So we have to have a healthy understanding of pride. We shouldn't, you know, we need to love ourselves um, we need to care for ourselves and respect ourselves and enjoy a, a healthy sense of um, life when something good happens or we do something well. It's good. It's not a bad thing. Okay. So sinful pride must not be then confused with these things. You know, self-respect, proper self-esteem, self-love, or, or just a feeling of a good sense of pride. Um, what is pride? Well, C.S. Lewis... Um, he says, pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. And again, the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, his mindset, I did it my way. It's, it's not willing to submit to the authority of God. It's a rejection of God. So God loves you and I more than we love ourselves. So we need to submit to the way God loves me, not to the way I love myself. I have to submit to the way Jesus loves me. So the Lord, the way you love us, Lord, not the way we necessarily love ourselves, because our, our estimation of ourselves is probably often horrible in comparison to what God sees and knows about each of us. Um, think about it. You know, you're the only one in the whole entire universe like you. From the beginning of time until the end, God doesn't make repeats, you know, that's powerful to think about, just that. That should be humbling. It should fill you with awe and wonder and amazement and, and a sense of, my father's proud of me. He's proud of having made me. My father is delighted in me. My father loves me. My father's filled with a, a joy to spend the day with me. Okay? So... Pride is this complete anti-God state of mind that we kind of catch like a virus. Um, we contracted through original sin. We picked it up. Okay, proud people will assert themselves and disregard the opinions and needs of others. They resent any boundaries that constrict their freedom to act however they want to act. So the proud mind, uh, a symptom of pride is often that self-centered and not other-centered. Pride will basically destroy a family, a community, a nation, a, a world. Because 
it is very divisive, right? Satan's tactic is what? Divide and conquer. How does he divide? He has to lie to us. And so how does he lie to us? Through people that we love, that we open up to. We don't quite discern what we should have taken in and not taken in. As children growing up, we have all have a history of sin, um, a history in our family trees of certain habits, certain lies, certain things that were communicated to us. You know, and, and we start to develop, you know, uh, safety, you know, mechanisms, way to protect ourselves. We start to wall ourselves off from the world. Um, we start to become isolated. We start to then be told by perhaps an elementary teacher, you should believe in yourself. You really believe in yourself. Well, that's, there's some truth to that, but it has to be explained, you know, to believe in yourself. What does that mean? You know, Satan couldn't get his eyes off of himself. God created him in all this beauty and glamour and glory. And, you know, the enemy had wonderful, you know, before he fell, he was an angel of light. He was beautiful. He was, he was the beautifulest of angels. He was filled with brilliance and beauty. But he couldn't get his eyes off of himself. And remember, the source and origin of his beauty was God the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit, okay? So proud people not only put, them, put themselves before others, they separate themselves from others, sometimes under the cover of religious piety. You know, I could be religiously pious and separate myself from the rest of the world. It's not your sins, it's our sins. If I really understand my baptism and I really understand who I am in Christ, he became sin, it says in the scripture. Christ became sin. Christ took our sins upon us. He entered into the human experience. He entered into humanity. He took on a human nature. He took on our frailty, our brokenness. He took upon us the sins of the world. He took our sins. So through baptism, who are we? We are sons and daughters of God, right? We are children of God. We're to be other Christ's. So we're to go into the nature of other people, just as God descended into our human nature. We're to descend into the human nature of our family members, our friends. Um, but you can't do that if you reject your own human nature. Okay, so Satan rejected himself. He was not willing to serve. We often hear, you know, non servium, Latin for I will not serve. That is, again, his hymn. He doesn't praise God. He praises himself. And he prays to himself. He doesn't pray to God. He's more devoted. He is devoted to himself. He's not devoted to the Lord. And so again, we pick these things up very subtly in our day-to-day -day lives as we grow up, as we go through, through life. And, you know, um, an actual form or manifestation of this capital sin of pride, it takes varying forms in every person. Um, you know, the, the sin of pride is going to manifest in different ways in different people. And so this time of reflection is just to think about in the light of God's love, as Father read in that scripture, the woman at the well, she was exposed in the noonday light. The sun was at noon. She couldn't hide. There's no shadows. You know, when the sun's high noon, there's no shadows. The woman didn't have any shadows to hide and she was totally exposed, totally in the presence of our Lord. And when she first encountered Christ, she didn't have an awareness of her sin. 
she was you know not so much conscious of it. You notice she was almost um, retaliating toward Jesus and his willingness to get close to her, approach her. Her idea was, you know, who are you? Kind of, you know, move along, get out of my way. I need to get my water and I'm going to move forward. She had a hard shell up. She had a protective shell. You know, that's pride. But that's how she uh, uh, protected herself from, from the accusations and judgments of the world. See, this is again the thing. As Christ in the world, through baptism as Christ, we don't want to die. We don't want to let Jesus die in us, live in us. We don't want to live the passion. We don't want to let Christ actually be born in me because that means I'll have to walk into your mess. And that's going to take energy, time, effort. I don't want to be scourged by you. I don't want to be crowned by you. I don't want to be whipped by you or spoken ill of by you. I don't want to be spit upon by you or mocked by you. But if I press into your hot spots, your buttons, I guaranteed you attack. Just like a dog. You corner a dog, they bite. Because they believe you're going to hurt them. Or they, at least that's their instinct, right? They're threatened by you. Same with us. You know, wounded pride. Wounded pride is that attack on others when they challenge us. When they say something to us that, that confronts the sin of pride. And that's where you find, you know, when we lash out, that's a manifestation of the spirit of pride that's taken hold of our wills and our intellects. It's, it's, a, it's a lashing out. That's a spirit of pride. And what do you do when you sense a spirit of pride moving in you? You've got to renounce that spirit. You've got to reject that spirit. You've got to repent. And it's good to say it out loud. I repent of the spirit of pride right now. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus, for the person that just challenged me. And maybe someone's challenging you and I through their frailty and their brokenness. Maybe they're challenging us to be humble. He emptied himself. You know, though he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. Rather, he emptied himself. He became a slave. He became a servant. He washed our feet. He went to the lowest, dirtiest of places. We can't go any lower than Christ. He descended into hell. He descended to the lowest points. No matter how far we fall, he went deeper, farther. You can't go any lower than Jesus went. So when we fall, no matter how hard we fall, he's going to be there to catch us. That's humility. So in general, however, um, I'd like to just talk briefly about three, uh, if you will, species in the genus of pride. Vanity, conceit, and arrogance. Vanity, conceit, and arrogance, uh, they, again, they disrupt, they disorder, they destroy individualized families, lives, communities. Vanity, let's just look briefly at vanity. Vanity is a preoccupation with our appearance. Um, the vain person does not so much seek to, to be admirable as much to be admired. So the vain person wants to be admired. Um, it's, he or she's looking for an admirer. You know, how do you like that? What do you think of that? What do you think? You know, we think of a little kid, like they kind of show off and they want us to be impressed. <laughs> you know, there's innocence there and beauty, yes. But in our own sense, we do that as adults, whether it be at work, at school, at home. Um, and then when people don't admire us, we, we begin to start getting a little bit bitter. That's why, you know, in a marriage, in a family, 
when we start to figure each other out, we can't like be a star anymore, headed a show at home. We don't like that because it's it's calling us to be um, hidden, the hidden life. He spent, I always like to say, he spent 30, 30 of his 33 years hidden. Humility. Think of St. Joseph and our Blessed Mother. They're very, they're not even mentioned that much in the scripture, really. And look how, that's humility. Because they don't want the limelight on them. The limelight is on the Lord. You know, Mary always was at the service. If you saw the movie Mary of Nazareth, you notice Mary was always serving, always humbling herself. You know that scene, <laughs> um, what is it, Mary Magdalene sitting there, kind of hidden, and Jesus is there, um, and there's that scene in that movie where Jesus is teaching, and it says, your mother and your brothers are here, and they're trying to, you know, Mary kind of went, not so much with her heart, she went because family went, she kind of knew already what the answer was, but she was kind of going along with her family, and, and her family was trying to save Jesus, because he's crazy. He's a nut. Look what he's doing. He's going to get himself killed. Let's go get him. Um, and he says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Who is my sister or my brother? Those who do the will of God and keep it. And he looks at Mary and Mary looks at him. In our minds, it's like, boy, that was kind of cold. Your mom's there and you're kind of saying this something like this. It's like, Jesus shouldn't be saying, speaking that way. But Mary understood that at that moment, it was revealed publicly that he's for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. He's not just mine in that wrong sense of mine. He's for everyone. Mary was giving the gift of her son. And so someone that has vanity uh, derives self-esteem from the turned head, the public honor, the tokens of success. The vain offer their appearance as a means of seducing others into thinking well of them, which in turn means um, of seducing themselves to think well of themselves, which really reflects how little I know about my value. The vain person obviously has established their value and worth from the world rather than from a life of prayer in the Lord. Okay? So, because the vein depend on an admiring audience to brace up or, or um, build up their self-esteem, they're very vulnerable to the shifting opinions of a crowd. Um, the passage of time, you know, the prominence um, of, of competitors. You know, they want to they wanna always be, you know, recognized, right? And um, vanities thus... It's the most fragile form of pride in that you could say it's a humble form of pride and that might sound kind of confusing, but it, in a sense it's a humble form of pride because it relies on approval of others. C.S. Lewis kind of called it that, this humble form of pride, um, a false, actually, sham humility, if you will. Um, of course, uh, like vanity's preoccupation with, with self, lust for the limelight, this... Um, if you will, almost a snobbishness. It's devoid of authentic humility, right? Okay, so so think of vanity. Where am I struggling with vanity? Again, this vanity's conceit and arrogance are going to come up um, in different ways, in varying forms in our lives. Um, 
Conceit. Let's talk a little bit about conceit. Conceit is an exaggerated opinion of one's virtue or accomplishments. Um, it seeks not so much excellence um, as superiority. So you're not looking so much for excellence. You're looking for superiority. Again, like, you know, um, therefore there's this inherent competitiveness. Um, as a result, conceit, um, it's intensely adversarial. Um, because you're superior. You have to fight to be superior. Um, it demands preeminence. Um, if need be, the conceited will diminish others to elevate themselves. Um, an example, you know, I was thinking here, an example, um, um, like someone that's an academic might dismiss uh, a colleague's genius by noting their lack of common sense. Like, oh... They just don't have any common sense. They're so smart, but they don't have any common sense. You see, it's like it's kind of like cutting them down to size so that I can prompt myself up or put myself up. Um, and you think about, we see conceited in the Pharisee who casting a contemptuous glance on, remember the tax collector? There's this tax collector who was beating chest. Um, and then the tax collector is piously thanking God that he was not, or the, the tax collector um, is beating his chest for, in the back of the church. Father, you know, God forgive me. And the Pharisees um, thanking God that he's not like that person. It's like, man, you know, I'm like, thank God I'm like the thieves or the adulterer or the tax collector. Thank you, Lord, that you've protected me from, from being a terrible person like that. Um, the conceited person thinks himself superior in everything that really matters. You know, it's kind of very, again, this is, this stuff's very, it's, it's like almost like woven into us, almost like a vine wrapped in and around us, and it's very interwoven into us, so we gotta, we can't get it out of ourselves, it's gotta be an inside job, it's gotta be the work of the Holy Spirit that kind of pulls these weeds from the roots out of us. Um, so the conceited person, I'm, he's superior or he, she's superior in everything that really matters, and after all, I decide what really matters. You know, a, a physicist isn't good at baseball or playing a violin, or he might not be good at managing a, a business, say. But in his mind, he puffs himself up as superior, that is, as a human being, um, not just as a scientist, but, you know, I can't hit baseball, I can't play the violin, but I, I'm a physicist, I'm, I'm bright, I'm smart, I'm good at this. And so there's this puffing up, you know, kind of a, a dismissal of other people's gifts. Um, not willing to acknowledge I don't have that gift like can I say that you know in, in all honesty unless we look at him and let him look at us we'll never be able to say I just don't have that gift that's fine it's perfectly fine right so St. Paul he attempts to puncture this puffed up Corinthian conceit um, in, in 1 Corinthians 4.6 he tells the Corinthian community, he says, What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you receive it, why do you boast as if it's not a gift? What do you have that you did not receive? Our first moment of conception to our natural death, it's all gift. Satan couldn't get his eyes off of himself. He couldn't see the giver. All he saw, the gift, it's mine. 
He couldn't see where his brilliance came from, where his beauty came from. He couldn't see beyond his, his nose, if you will. So what do you have that you did not receive? And if you receive it, why do you boast as if it's not a gift? So when we boast, we boast, Paul says it again and again, right? I boast in the Lord. I boast in my weakness. I boast in my brokenness. I boast in my frailty. Right? Third, arrogance. So arrogance is a feeling of superiority it, it, that shows itself as lofty, overbearing, in an overbearing manner. See, va- all right, vanity, the vain person, where we struggle with vanity, we're looking for the admirer. When we have conceit, we're looking for inferiors. We have to make people inferior to us. Um, arrogance has no need of either. Arrogance is like, if you will, uh, stands out clear of the crowd. The arrogance, um, it's a law unto themselves. They don't need other people to validate their self-image. Um, what other people think or achieve is neither here or there. Um, arrogant are, the arrogant is too proud to be vain or conceited. Um, we might say that arrogance is the epitome of pride. Um, the sin of the first person singular, C.S. Lewis says. He says three forms of pride. You know, these three forms of pride, vanity, conceit, arrogance... They're going to crop up in different combinations and degrees in our lives. I mean, obviously, we all can experience them in different ways. Um, and individuals tend to fall into predominant types, you know. Um, you know, think of an executive, an arrogant executive, for example, might amuse his colleagues by, you know, some petty vanity. Um, so you might see, you know, uh, him saying, you know, his refusal to work glasses in public for this or that reason or some vain reason this arrogance it's, it can be all combined in there there can be attitudes again of um, a successful author, author might be conceited um, um, in a general attitude of arrogance just pride's own trajectory is always disaster um, you know um, so pride the proud people spread Calamity by overestimating their abilities, setting unrealistic goals, refusing to respect appropriate limits, pushing themselves too hard. And I, I was reading this quote, I was looking some of this here, and it says, The corporate climbers become dependent on amphetamines. Ambitious pastors lead churches into fiscal disaster. Athletes overtrain and sustain career ending injuries. Pride also leads to spectacularly bad judgments because proud people pursue their grandiose goals without adequate planning or resources. Again, going back to that Roman scripture, sober estimation of myself. I don't have that gift and I'm fine with that, but who has it and willing to help that other person build that gift and I use my gifts, they use their gifts. All is gift. So this consequence of pride is far-reaching. Um... In this, in a social sense, think of it like this: in our society, you know, knowledge is power. Um, experts shape public policy in every field. Um, intellectual arrogance is common um, and can be very dangerous. For example, the economist, the military strategist, the physician, who are so sure of themselves that they never seek others' insight or information and advice from others. Can be, these people can be responsible. It's including us. These, we can be responsible 
for events that bring many harm. Abortion, euthanasia. I mean, you just go across the board. In the Bible, Proverbs fourteen sixteen says, The wise are cautious and turn away from evil. But the fool throws off restraint and is careless. Okay? So, obviously, we got to come against this pride. And obviously, the virtue that comes against it is humility. So, vice decays where virtue flourishes. Okay? So one, we need to attack pride by cultivating humility and the gift of counsel. The gift of the Holy Spirit of counsel. Counsel is our humble way of seeking what's the Lord want? What does God want me to do? What does God think of me? What does God say about this or that? And see, children are always asking questions. Well, our identity is child. Unless you turn and become like children, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So we've got to be childlike. In our identity. And the child's always asking questions. Jesus, what do you want? How do you want me to do this? What do you want me to say here? How would you like me to deal with this or that situation, right? C.S. Lewis says, In God, in God you come up against something which is, in every respect, immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. Okay? Authentic humility is based on a realistic self-appraisal. It kind of goes back to the humble evaluation of themselves, the sober judgment of self. Romans 12.3, that scripture again. Um, so again, there's false humility, right? Um, false humility leaves one feeling demoralized, depleted, weak, fragile, hopeless. People who live under this cloud of false humility, um, they're condemned to live they're constricted, they're deformed, frustrating their lives. Um, they feel, you know, inadequate, pathetic, like dirt. Um, a sense of worthless swamp, you know, just like I'm not nothing. Like that's not humility, right? Humility shouldn't be confused with self-loss. And what do I mean by that? Self-loss, um, you know, it's not like not having self-possession knowing who you are. Think about it. Jesus calls for uncompromising loyalty to his kingdom, not the dissolution of the person. He doesn't ask us to like throw ourselves like a rug under people and just let people stomp all over us. Jesus himself modeled what he commanded. And he says, you know, no one, no one could accuse Jesus of being a timid, outer-directed person. You know, when, think about it. When the religious authorities opposed Christ, he, he, did he, he refused to back down. And, and when standing before the Sanhedrin or, or later Pilate, Jesus was confident. He knew who he was. He properly asserted who he was. Jesus never caved into the crowd. He never gobbled over power, never appeased the critics. No one who followed Jesus authentically will self-loss. You know, we know who we are in Christ. Um, so I want to just encourage you again as this time's... this. As we finish up this reflection here on pride, um, as we examine our lives um, with the help of the Holy Spirit, um, it can be, we won't let ourselves always see. Pride blinds us. You know, and if unless someone tells us about it, we can just continue in this road of self-destructive, you know, arrogance, conceit, 
um, in pride. And so let's ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit now to help us to be in the light like the woman at the well, to let him expose our pride to us, to let him show us any areas of pride um, that we suffer with. And remember, the crucifixion leads to the resurrection. The death of our pride will lead to a fuller experience of being the woman or man God intends and created us to be. So let's just say a little prayer. Come Holy Spirit. Give us the courage to be honest. To be exposed to be found out, to be discovered. Help us, Lord, to not allow fear to block your gaze. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Bring us into the humility of Mary's heart. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, show us where we desire to be admired because we don't know how we're admired by you. Show us where we're vain and seek honor. Show us, Lord, where we think inferior of others, where we cut others down. Spirit, often a sign of our pride is our tremendous lack of gratitude. Where are we ungrateful? That's often where we we haven't acknowledged the gift that God's given. We, we, we take God for granted. Just the fact that we're sitting here, Lord, that we can see, that we can walk, that we can talk, that we can breathe. Like if we're never grateful, Lord, for those things, and that means we, we don't acknowledge you. We have our eyes too much upon ourselves. Have we thanked God for our friendships? Have we thanked God for family, friends, health, work? You see, pride, Lord, we know blinds us from being grateful because nothing's a gift to the proud. 
to the humble all is gift. So as we, Lord, continue this reflection, I just invite everyone to that scripture that Father read um, about the woman at the well. I'd like you to, we're going to take about 15 minutes or 10 or 15 minutes of silence to just sit with Jesus and what's been said. And I want you to, you're the woman at the well, and I want you to look at Jesus' eyes. And just focus on his eyes. Let the Lord expose your pride for you. 